Welcome to Afrotexture, a weekly podcast by students at the University of California, Los Angeles, that looks at buildings and cities created throughout Africa and thinks about the past, present, and future of the built environment on the continent. Today's episode looks at Ndebele House Painting in South Africa. It was created by Ali Damji, Arnie DeRoy, Sasha Rosen, and Daenery Suthar. They'll take it from here. Hi, our names are Ali and Aneri, and thank you for tuning in to our podcast about Ndebele house paintings and their contemporary adaptations. Before we get into it, let's have our friend John Legend start off. When you purchase Belvedere Red, 50% of the profits go to fight AIDS in Africa. Yeah. Belvedere Red, the difference is in your hand. That video was striking. Yeah, that was a really unique and powerful advertisement. So for those who are listening in right now, the video was a combination of American pop singer John Legend's Love Me Now with bold pieces of visual art from Dr. Esther Malangu, who is a very prominent artist in the Ndebele community. And Ndebele art in general is made up of geometric designs like we saw in the video, but these designs are in many incredible colors like bright red, yellow, there were greens in there, just overall, just very, very beautiful pieces of artwork. The Ndebele, whose artwork we just saw in the ad, were a powerful chiefdom that lived on a plateau of the eastern Transvaal province region of South Africa. By 1882, armies of Boers overcame the Ndebele to demonstrate to the British that they could suppress these so-called aggressive chiefdoms. Forced out of their lands, the Ndebele were scattered throughout the Transvaal and were forced into labor in other farmlands as servants. By 1923, the government permitted them to purchase limited farmland. The chiefdom gathered the scattered people back and made an effort to regain their land back along with their political power. So finally, by 1975, people demanded and established the self-governing Kwa Ndebele homeland, which achieved more land for their chiefdom. Throughout their history, the Ndebele have embraced their independent homeland and continued to honor it through their painting to establish social identity. So these designs were originally painted onto the walls of Ndebele houses to claim their identity. They were meant to say, we are Ndebele, Ndebele live here. These designs were largely based on Ndebele beadwork designs and patterns. The different colors are symbols for multicultural identities. They communicate identity, values, and emotions with their repeated geometric forms and simplified shapes in very bold colors. Now, while white farmers allowed this art on their homes, they just saw it as merely decorative and therefore harmless. So basically, they saw it as just aesthetic. But to the Ndebele, they were more than just aesthetic expressions. They were expressions of cultural resistance and the permanence of the Ndebele as a people. The art in itself was originally made with dye and soil. And as such, these designs were meant to be fixed yearly. Daughters would help their mothers. And this continued the practice in the community, which really ensured permanence as a symbol of identity. 
I think it's really important that you brought that up because it's often the aesthetic versatility of having like such large blocks of color heavily outlined with black lines that makes it so palatable to tourists and to westerners and that may have minimized the meaning that settlers saw in it initially but while it may be commonly misinterpreted as ornamental as you brought up these designs represent so much more and as they're usually completed by women these murals represent the perspectives of minoritized ethnic groups of women of urban dwellers etc and you know in talking about how the white farmers were basically desensitized to this or sort of or only saw, saw it through one perspective it's interesting to see how that idea persists in the use of that art today so, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but have you seen sort of the use of NW art besides this video that we just watched, but in any other spaces or places? Yeah, I think NW wall art is widely recognized as just being like a very homogenized view of Africa. It's oftentimes used in tourist brochures and in souvenir objects, and so it's often commodified as this like foreign but like easy to digest form of artwork that's usually that's usually how it's been recognized by americans and the west in double women also used beadwork in relation to hiv and aids activism in the late 90s and early 2000s during the time of the epidemic in south africa double women used red and white bead patterns very strategically um, and depicted the aids ribbon in wearable brooches and other jewelry so that they could serve as conversation starters when people saw them about aids and how people could protect themselves from being infected no, yeah, for sure. And when we look at the use of this, this art today, we see it in campaigns by BMW, where they plastered their cars in this sort of pattern. Again, calling it or like labeling it the African model of their car, which is almost an unethical use of this art because it basically Africanizes in Dublin culture and masks the ethnic diversity within Africa. But both with BMW and with Belvedere, the common link over there was Dr. Esther Malangu, who is an 81-year-old prominent artist from the Ndebli community, who basically started all of this, started painting, and started learning how to create these elaborate pieces of artwork at the near age of 10. Today, she's 81 years old, she's been painting this style, and what's common between these two campaigns is that they they both sort of commissioned her to create this work independently. Yeah, so a little bit more about Esther. She became one of the first to paint these designs on her house using acrylic paint on canvas as opposed to traditional methods. And this was seen by a French art researcher who then asked her to display her art in a show in France. She since then facilitated the spread of this popular style and was asked to participate in various other projects, such as a prestigious art collection in 1991. And she was notably the first African and the first woman to participate in this BMW art collection. Her car was also dubbed the quote-unquote African art car in the show. So we can really see the respect and recognition for NAA art as Esther has come to a really international prominence. But this has also come simultaneously with this homogenized sense of Africa and a cheapened sense of its art and architecture from Western audiences. What Esther is doing is she's really representing this sort of active, intangible form of cultural heritage. Her murals and her artwork are not just what they are on the surface. They're acting as vessels of cultural traditions and histories and the passing down of these knowledge and skill systems that don't exist elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it really, like, 
goes to make you think about PNW art in itself. Now, when we look at design techniques, PNW women have an established sense of their technique, and they, like historically, have been using it for different methods. Like it's Definitely. a very communicative, it's a very communicative art form. Yeah, definitely. It was actually associated with political resistance in South Africa and represented protest in the 1970s and 1980s, and then the designs kind of switched to represent liberation in the 1990s. And so this was really aligned with the historical timeline of apartheid. And so as expressions of cultural identity, these are not just like aesthetic murals. They claimed territory that was previously lost or taken, and it depicted those who like Esther decades ago would not have been permitted to take space up there. Yeah, and I think that's very cool that that persists still today because we see NW women today using their technique and creating beadwork that's specifically red and white in color to spread awareness of HIV and AIDS within their communities. And I think it's very interesting to me how they are able to like compartmentalize the kind of art that they create. So there's art that they create for themselves as acts of resistance, as acts of awareness. But then there's also art that like it's sort of like public art mm-hmm. that they've created to sell and to make a profit out of, which is also commend- uh, commendable because there are other folks doing this out there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that really raises the question of how commercialization relates to different forms of cultural heritage and how African designs are now often commonly commodified, replicated, bought, and sold by those who have little regard for that object's cultural biography. Mm-hmm. And so, bring like wrapping this all up and like thinking about the considerable rich history of the Ndebele people, the beautiful pieces of art that don't only have aesthetic significance but also a strong cultural and traditional significance and we should be asking questions like is it all right for other people to be using this technique this art and making a profit out of it like belvedere used dr esther's art and are selling vodka bottles and 50% of that money is going to fight AIDS, but also but 50% is going back to them. 50% of that revenue is going back to them. So is that all right? In the same vein, is it all right for an international car company like BMW to be showcasing in Dublin art as African art in a Western art showcase? Now, these are questions that we do not have the answers to, and maybe we should not have the answers to them. But these are questions that are best left answered and best answered by the NW people themselves. And lucky for us, we have a short clip from Dr. Esther Malangu that may serve as an adequate answer, at least for the time being. <laughs> It feels wonderful. As a people, we must learn to appreciate our traditions. What I don't like, I don't want people to exploit our culture. People must learn from each other. That's what I want. Today's episode was created in the fall of 2019 by Ali Damji, Arnie DeRoy, Sasha Rosen, and Aneri Sudhar. 
Our theme song is by Rebecca Taylor. Special thanks to Tom Garbalotti and Andrew Jessup at UCLA Humanities Technology, or HumTech. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at AfriTexturePod. That's A-F-R-I-T-E-C-H-T-U-R-E-P-O-D with no spaces. I'm Lauren Taylor. We'll see you next week.